Welcome to Season 5 of the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, best-selling author and international speaker, Michael Sherlock. The Shock Your Potential podcast is dedicated to entrepreneurs looking to up their game, increase their income, and scale their businesses to new heights. Shock Your Potential is a professional services company providing affordable services to small businesses, matching entrepreneurs with virtual assistants, and offering specialized leadership and sales training to companies around the world. Learn more today at shockyourpotential.com and listen in now to another motivating episode that will help you to shock your potential. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am Michael Sherlock, your host, and all month long we are talking to some fierce and fabulous female entrepreneurs. Why? Because, you know, it's my podcast and I get to pick what we talk to talk about and who we talk to. <laughs> and today, my guest, not only are you going to love the name of her company, but you're going to love her energy and it's going to make you want to lean into our conversation. I have no doubt. Amy Anderson is a widely respected and creative industry leader who sees the unique opportunity to leverage creativity to transform both brands and entire organizations across multiple sectors, not just a few. So no matter who you work for, who you work with, or your own company, you're going to want to listen in. Now, she has a track record of driving value for clients through brand and growth strategies, designing teams and innovative marketing strategies. And so we know how that comes together. And those of you who are following us last year when we did the Magic of Marketing series, you know, we all wish there was magic marketing pixie dust that we could just, you know, sprinkle on our businesses. But since that hasn't been invented yet, we need a people like her. Now, her work at Wild Coffee, yes, that's what I said, is focused on transforming businesses through a diverse set of disciplines. Okay, you know, we got to put in the hard work and tailor-made teams that span brand strategy, digital marketing, PR, and marketing consulting. She's got more than 25 years. We don't need to tell how many of experience at brands such as, you know, a few of those you've heard, like Calvin Klein, the New York Times Digital, and a few others. So when she does this to drive strategy and have uh, creative outcomes for her her clients, we know that that's going to lead to something more than just more dollars. It's probably going to lead to a stronger company. So Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. I can't wait to uh, pick your brain and learn more. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. And you will have to tell us about the name of your company in this answer somehow. But I hit the highlights of your bio, which is absolutely incredible. But tell us a little bit more about you, your business, and how you help clients to shock their potential. Absolutely. Well, 25 is actually low because this summer I'm celebrating my 30th year uh, mm. in marketing since I graduated from University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill with zero clue about what I wanted to do. I was an English and art history double major. I knew I loved, I loved reading novels. I loved looking at art. And I got a job at Seventeen Magazine in New York. So oh, that's sort of I what loved started. Seventeen Magazine. <laughs> it was phenomenal. Tori Spelling, it was the 90210 days. Oh and um, I was sort of learning the ropes with advertising and marketing. And one yeah. of the challenges for me is I didn't really buy into print. Right. We have a subscription rate. We had a readers per copy, but I would sit and we're selling these ads and I'm saying, how do we know this works? Um, so yeah. I actually ended up getting a job with Calvin Klein in the broadcast division. So we had Nielsen ratings. We were doing TV and radio for co-op. And so at least then we had a little bit more data. And then in the mid nineties, 
Calvin Klein discovered something called, <laughs> he didn't discover it, but he knew that the internet was going to be vital to his business um, mm-hmm. and was very ahead of his time. And so they made me the head of what they used to call new media. Mm-hmm. So that was online media and digital and trying to figure out how to use video. But these are in the dial-up days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went into pure.com play. So I was the head of promotion at iVillage in New York, which was the first website for women. Oh, yes. I for, I had forgotten about iVillage. Yes. yes parent oh, soup, okay. you know. And it was interesting because yes. it was a real community play. Um, it was all message board based. But I see that as sort of the beginnings of social media. I met my mm-hmm. mentor, Nancy Evans there and Valerie Wasserman, these women who were incredible at sort of bringing me up through my career, through my 20s. Um, and then I went into the dark side of B2B marketing with software <laughs> and telephony and financial services. But what's happened with all of that, right, is when I was ready to start my own firm and to become a consultant, I had big brand sort of consumer B2C experience. I really understood B2B marketing. Um, and a few years ago, when I went out on my own, I was really armed with a lot of that experience that I can bring multiple viewpoints to my clients. Wow. You have been there and seen it all. I mean, really talk about evolution. And I love the fact that you talk about Okay, it's great to look at the data points with print media. And I mean, that's it's one of the reasons, not the only reason, obviously, that we're seeing the de-evolution or the, you know, the extinction, slow extinction of of print media. Um, but you can't, other than, you know, papers sold or newspaper or, or magazines bought off the rack or subscriptions, you still don't know how many people read that article or who really made a shopping or purchase decision based on that ad. And so our data today is so much more, well, I, I hate it. It's funny when people say, oh, I don't want anybody to track my my spending purchases because then they're only going to send me ads that I want. And I'm always like, I want just ads that I want. <laughs> I don't want to look at men's cologne ads. Exactly. I want cute dresses and I want books, you know, with, with spiritual and thought leaders and business books. And, and I do want it targeted, but yes, it, and it can be overwhelming as a marketer, right? Mm-hmm. That you yeah. have so much data that you don't even look at it or yeah. you don't know how to make it actionable. Um, mm-hmm. We always, we track five KPIs per client. We oh. try to keep it simple. Okay, It's five key performance indicators mm-hmm. that we look at per engagement And that is what we track. Those can shift and evolve over time. But I really think it helps to focus in that realm. Right. And that's really important. Uh, You know, just this is just a random question for you, just because we're talking about these. Um, When uh, with my last two positions that I held, it was kind of right at the really rise, not that it hadn't been there before, but really the rise in net promoter score. Mm -hmm. And I hated net promoter score. Now I worked in the hearing aid industry. So I ran our sales locations in the U S and I hated that question. Like, would you recommend us to somebody? Because that tells me nothing about, did you like our service, our product, the, the care, the price points it's and, but if you didn't get a yes, you know, then, then there was this expectation to call somebody and prove to them how great we were so that they would answer it again and say, yes, but that tells you nothing 
nothing about whether or not you're making an impact, I think. Which do you have any thoughts well, on NPS? I, I yeah. it's sort of an annoying number, right? I do think it becomes a sales number. I think that people, you're right, that people don't focus on the whys and all the nuances of their journey and their experience. Um, I think it's oversimplified. I think basics are really important and really looking at how your customer experiences you at every stage of the funnel. Mm-hmm. From communicating, you know, from how they're interacting with sales teams, from product delivery, from, you know, how the after the sale, you know, and through that funnel. So I think that really focusing, just being really good at delivering at every point of the journey is really important. Mm, I agree so much. So when you um, get simple like this, though, with five KPIs, which my eyes lit up, I'm like, that sounds brilliant. It's wonderful to keep it so simple. But you know, when you're working with clients that may be used to looking at a lot more metrics, which, you know, may be just confusing them anyway, or may get you uh, following the squirrel or the shiny object. Uh, do you find that people resist that, just that kind of a lesser amount of in, information at mo- in the beginning, or do they really embrace it because then it's something to actually, you know, have more measurable outcome on? I think that we are digging into data that's deeper than that. And we let them know that, you know, we're looking at 20 different metrics at any given time. We're looking at paths on Google Analytics and exit points and all of that. But for Mm -hmm. you, you know, I I think you can't see if the ship's going in the right direction with more than five. Right. right? So are those indicators and they may fluctuate, right? So we may have one that's down, four that's up. But otherwise, it just becomes a lot of sentences about a lot of numbers without focus. And I'm good at saying sentences, so it's good for me to keep them focused too. So, <laughs> so tell me about the kind of clients you work with, because you know I've got a lot of entrepreneurs that are listening. I also have people still who have feet in uh, corporate America. So, who's your ideal client? Oh, I was just writing about that this morning. Um, we are industry agnostic. Uh, so we have a client and have had clients in the marine industry. We are South Florida based. So that sort of just happens here. Um, we love multi-location franchise because once you get past 50 locations of a franchise or a corporate owned business, you really need to start bringing technology in to give you visibility about what's happening and how do you scale that? Right. So my business partner, Solomon, actually was um, had an agency that was with Orange Theory from locations one to three hundred. We sort of grew up in fitness and wellness in that way. And so we have a client called Stretch Zone um, that we have started with them at 50 locations and they're at 150 growing to 500. So um, for any football fans out there, Drew Brees just bought multiple locations and is a spokesperson and is an amazing person to work with uh, for us. We do a lot in financial services. Mm-hmm. Uh, technology. Um, we've had bridal clients, uh, which has been really interesting for us. E-commerce. Um, mm-hmm. So we're really sort of agnostic in that way. Um, and our clients sort of benefit from our being in multiple industries at any given time and sort of what's happening there. You know, it's interesting. I get calls um, to do speaking and training often in the franchise market, especially on leadership, leadership of multiple locations and in sales leadership. And gosh, it's been about six, seven years ago, I got a call and I won't tell the name of the organization because I'm still hoping they're going to call me back again. Um, but let's just say that it has to do with something you eat that is wonderful and I love it. And, <laughs> uh, and so I had this great conversation with, with the, uh, you know, one of the primary founders of the franchise. 
And he was telling me about, you know, kind of the challenges of their owners and, you know, the fact that most of them might have been in hospitality or food service in some realm. And so they had that experience. So they gravitated towards this franchise. But when they got in there, they realized this is a much different game to lead organizations and lead salespeople and lead in venues where you've got multiple kiosks, but you can't be there every time. And how do you grow your business or how do you grow catering type of opportunities? And it was such a fascinating conversation when I said, well, here's what I would suggest. And I gave him the, you know, what I thought would be very beneficial because I've used it in other related industries. He was like, yeah, we are not ready for that. And he, mm. and he said, he goes, he goes, I am ready for that. He goes, I want us all to be ready for that. I just, as you were talking, I just started thinking about several of our owners who would just have heart palpitations because that'd be so far out of their comfort zone. And the reason I'm telling you the story is that I think that people have that same response to marketing. Like I mm. want marketing. That's why we did this magic of marketing series last year. Cause I was like, I know we all just wish we could just sprinkle some magic marketing pixie dust on everything. And oh, we're all looking for the Holy grail, right? What, what acquires the most customers at the lowest cost? That's, right. that's the holy grail, right? But marketing itself is so much more in order to have results that are not only beneficial for you, but that are consistent. So when you're talking to new clients and you're like, yes, I definitely want that. And I do want to go from 50 locations to 500. Do you see a lot of that battle, internal battle with them too, of like, I want this, but boy, are you sure we have to have somebody help us with our marketing on this? Can't we just throw some Facebook ads out there and do fine? Um, you know, it's interesting on the franchise level. Yes, yes, they do. Um, but it, what's interesting is that you have two markets. You're trying, you're trying to acquire new franchisees. Yes. And you're trying to grow leads for the franchises. Yes. So that is a hyper local play. Right. So we'll manage some local agencies with that because we do the overall corporate strategy. And then you have to get new franchisors mm -hmm. and then you're building the corporate brand. So it's actually right. threefold right in that market and really looking at, you know, ways to grow awareness nationally, globally while getting leads and new franchisors. So that's really exciting yeah. for us. Um, we love a challenge <laughs> and it's just a really fun market to be in. And, and you're right. Like I think for a lot of these franchises, having multi-unit operators give them a level of sophistication versus an owner operator who might be sort of a physical therapist who wants to have their own business. They may not bring the level of sales leadership, the mm -hmm. ability to scale, to run the financials, right? So then the training's more intense. So right. it's, it's a fascinating market. We really love it. Yeah, it is. I love it. And I, you know, I'm a big um, proponent, proponent of franchises. Um, I have known many people who have been very, very successful. The ones who are most successful are the ones that listen to the advice of the franchise owners and managers and leaders and say, if you want to be the most successful, you will actually follow our path, which, you know, we're going to give you the path, but you have to choose to walk down it. Exactly. And, and then it's the level, you know, ongoing support. Once you buy a franchise, right, what are they offering in terms of training, in terms mm -hmm. of marketing, in terms of operational support? And Stretchstone's done a pretty phenomenal job at that from a leadership perspective. And I think that's part of why they've grown so much. Plus, people are learning, right? We all sit in desks all day and our bodies mm -hmm. are meant to move. And, mm -hmm. you know, I am tethered to the Zoom. I think the Zoom <laughs> has not been good for a lot of us because at least we could pace on conference calls. Remember, Michael? Like we could actually walk yes. around and now I'm I'm on video probably six hours a day easily. Yeah. 
I had forgotten about that. I used to, when I was leading large sales teams and I had like 30 some managers who reported to me, if I wasn't on the road traveling, I would be pacing upstairs on the phone with people. Yes. And I would get 10,000 steps easily every day because I was doing that. Now, let's see. It, it's Wednesday on the day we are taping this. Let's see what uh, my I've probably gotten said. 10. If I didn't go to the I gym have, in the morning, it's like 10 steps a day. Oh, know? I did go to the gym, but I didn't carry my phone during it. So I have 2,020 steps for today, and it's almost 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Right, right. <laughs> see what's happened to us? And I tell my team, you know, so we've been a distributed company since we started. So when COVID happened, it's how we had already built the company yeah. because we were on, on site with clients. And so I talked to them, can you take clarity breaks? Can you take walks? Can you right. move? Are you eating lunch? Are you looking at the sun? Not directly into it, but you know, are you like getting sun on your body? Like I, I really, people are working so hard. I don't have to say it. We all know it, but just yeah. to take care of your team and yourself and really be a little bit more focused on that is critical. Amen to that. I love it. Well, Amy, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor for the month. And when we get back, we're going to dive into your entrepreneurial journey. So we're, we will be right back. Are you a highly sensitive individual? If you are, you are part of the 20% of people whose nervous system is wired to take in more stimulation than others. This can feel overwhelming trying to get by through coping and stuck in your shadows instead of your strengths. But it doesn't need to be that way. You can learn to be in charge of yourself physically, spiritually, and financially in a way that honors your highly sensitive self. Heather Dominic is the founder of BusinessMiracles.com, and she's been training highly sensitive entrepreneurs and leaders since 2010 to do things differently by working less and making more of a social impact and a higher income. Whether you've been in business for years or are just starting out, highly sensitive entrepreneurs are sick of trying to, usually secretly, manage overwhelm and other ways your highly sensitive nervous system tends to hijack and work against you. Now you're ready to learn how to be comfortable in your highly sensitive skin, to create your work and life to match who you truly are, so you can work less while making more impact and income. I should know. As a super uber highly sensitive entrepreneur myself, working with Heather and her team has changed my life and my businesses. To learn more, please use our affiliate link in the show notes or reach out to the Business Miracles team and tell them you heard about them from the Shock Your Potential podcast. Every listener who joins the Business Miracles program in 2022 will receive a selection of five best-selling books from our Shock Your Potential bookstore authors. Leading as a highly sensitive entrepreneur is a mindset to hold and an energy to embody. To lead means to show someone the way to be in charge of. As a highly sensitive entrepreneur, this starts with learning how to be in charge of yourself first and your purpose second. And we are back with Amy Anderson and we are talking about you know, business and marketing and all those pieces that need to go together. But one thing that I find is really interesting to me is everyone's entrepreneurial journey and a little bit about, you know, what got you to where you are today or what have you learned about yourself along this entrepreneurial journey? I know we were having some fun talking before we started taping. So, you know, tell me what, what pops in your mind first when you think, ah, let's talk about Amy's journey as an entrepreneur. 
Well, it's interesting to even hear my name with entrepreneur in the same sentence. (laughs) (laughs) I was a corporate person my whole career. I liked working in corporations. I did well in them. I advanced. I, I enjoyed the work. And then I had two young sons. And I took a few years off of work uh, to be with them. And then my family situation changed and I found Mm -hmm. myself needing to go back to work. And I was lucky enough to have a choice where my parents came and said, you have always measured up to certain standards or exceeded expectations. We would like to invest in you as a consultant so that you don't have to go back and be a CMO at a large company and try to raise these young boys by yourself who were six and eight at the time. So I started small. I was doing a little bit of strategy, social media, web development. I was doing PR for restaurants in Miami, wedding planners, just whatever I could get my hands on. And then I reunited with the man who um, had hired me in 2004. And we worked at a financial services company together for four years and we became partners and we started to scale the team from there. And that was about four years ago. So I was not a born entrepreneur. I was not, I didn't have side hustles. I was a corporate person who had a life change and had these little boys at home who needed a mom around. And I was lucky enough to be able to, um, to start this path. And now I couldn't imagine doing anything differently. So I just don't, I think the unknowns, I didn't think I was, I was creative enough. Ah, Yeah. I didn't think, how would I structure agreements? How would I be, have things so open-ended and know what to tell people in an advisory role? And then Mm. when the opportunity presented itself, I started talking and it was all there. Ah, what a beautiful story too, because like you said, it's kind of a, I guess a a journey of self-awareness, you know, you knew, you knew what you were good at in terms of your job and you knew you were good at climbing the ladder and and being seen and, and having more opportunity. Those are things that are so important, but isn't it interesting that as you started to do it on your own, you're like, wait a minute, do I know how to do some of those other important things that are part of being an entrepreneur? But then you just trusted yourself and said, all right, well, let's see what happens. And and things turned out for the positive. And it did. And you know, the other thing that I thought that I couldn't sell. Mm. And that for me is the biggest lesson as an entrepreneur. You can be the most phenomenal marketer, attorney, you know, event planner, trainer, you know, but if you are not selling all the time, then you don't yep. have a business. You just don't. Yeah. It's so but true. I learned I can sell myself. I can close you on me. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I yeah. realize that if I can't sell myself, you know, I think it's almost the easiest thing to sell. I know myself. I know what my capabilities are. You can see me <laughs> and hear me, what I have to say. So as that started, as I started doing it more, and I, even over the last two years, now I'm very comfortable negotiating. I mean, these mm-hmm. are some complex deals that we have and agreements that we have, I have no problem. And recently a client, we renegotiated a contract with them and he said, Amy, you're a close, you're the closer. And no <laughs> one's ever called me a closer. And you're, like, you're like, yeah, I totally am. You walk out of the room, you're like, yeah. And he's really just trying to tease my business partner. But yes, I mean, I just, I, I think I was thinking that is the best thing anyone's ever said to me that I can close. And it was a real challenge for me for a long time. But, you know, if you can be the best subject matter expert, you can be the best at what you do. But if you're not always selling and putting yourself out there, then that won't happen. Now I stand behind the company and I have a team that can market the company. It's a little bit, but it's still 
our intellectual property and it's still us behind it. So, well, and what I always tell people, because I mean, this is what I love to do is, is motivate people in sales is that sales should never feel like sales because you're just, if you're doing it right, you're having dialogues, you know what you do, you are confident in that. And that it's always, uh, it's always positive when it's the right time for you and them. And if it's not, then it's your job to make sure they either stay in touch until it is time or you, or you help them find who they need to be, be with instead of you. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up, Michael, because I think with COVID Mm -hmm. and I've been talking about this a lot lately, the veneer of the sale, the, Mm -hmm. you know, the fancy marketing pieces, like things that just aren't truly authentic. We got sort of right. stripped back and and I think it's been good for us. I'm, I I have I offer a service and you have needs. Do they align? Right. And that's all that is. And if you look at life as a conversation, sales as a conversation, marketing as a conversation, right? Yep. We're having an authentic conversation with potential targets about what we do and we're telling you in a really real way. Yeah, I love it. I, I actually just uh, um, got a call to do a speaking gig that, uh, in uh, the end of March, and it's with a bunch of different meeting planners. And the whole the topic they loved of what you know th- that I love to talk about is one that's called "I hate sales," mm-hmm. because I have I have more fun when people go, "You do say, oh, I hate sales," and I'm like, "Really? Have you ever had? Are you a parent? You know, yes. Do you ever have to to convince your child to take medicine when they were sick and they didn't want to? Yes. Guess what? Or that's go to it. bed." Right yeah. or go to bed. <laughs> exactly, and I'm like, let's just talk about what sales is. Sales is sometimes a dialogue, sometimes it's questions, sometimes it's a negotiation. And uh, when you look at it that way, it's no longer intimidating. It's just right. something else. It, but it all has to do with talking and listening, exactly. and not necessarily in that order. And I think when you're listening, you're establishing trust. Absolutely, absolutely. But you don't establish trust through talking. It's really deeply, deeply sitting still and trying to understand what the person is saying and repeating it back to them and really making someone feel heard and really truly understanding the need. And you're right. It may not be the right time in that moment. And they may be coming back another time and or just to be memorable enough that they remember, oh, you know, and it happens to us all the time. We got a call the other day from someone who said, oh, I was talking to this person and they had talked to you a year ago and 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 they remembered us. And yeah. so, you know, and if you can leave someone, I've, I've taught my children this, that if you live a life where someone feels better after leaving your presence than they did when they entered it, you have lived a life well lived. Amen. And that's in business too. You know, just Amen. genuine conversations, meet the needs, make things easy for people. If you have a website or a business to do business with you, be fair, yeah. be kind, you know? Yes. Yeah. Simple thing. It's got, it's just a different version of the golden rule. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Amy, I could talk to you for all, all yeah. times. Oh, I told you I the sentences. I know, but I never, I never uh, got the story behind why you named your company ah. Wild Coffee Marketing. Well, I have, people usually don't expect this answer, but when I was writing my business plan almost six years ago, Wild Coffee is a plant that is native to South Florida in our zone and was growing outside the window when I was writing my business plan. Is it literally wild coffee? 
It is literally wild coffee. You can, it's not the Arabica kind that you can brew. It would be bitter. But here, uh-huh. um, I'm in Naples, Florida, and there are, along our greenway, wild coffee grows. And it was this really beautiful, shiny, vibrant plant that I would have to cut back because it grew so well. And it was had some energy, and it had these beautiful berries, but it sort of didn't take itself too seriously and take over my yard. And I said, you know, that I think that would be the perfect sort of... Uh, sort of metaphor for this company and and energy is everything to us. I think when you're Mm -hmm. working on multiple brands, multiple engagements, um, the energy part is really important, Um, especially what you and I have been talking about with, we're all a little bit experiencing a little bit of fatigue right now and and it's harder to keep our energy up, but we bring that to each other and our clients every day. I love it. I'm so glad I asked you that question. And I I spend a lot of time in Naples. It's one of the places that my husband and I are considering for our retirement. So we'll have to talk more about that offline. I would love it. I did not know about wild coffee there. So I'm going to go seek it out the next time I'm there. It's beautiful. (laughs) Everyone should Google it. It's a pretty little native plant. I love it. Ah, Amy, again, I could talk to you forever. Now, I know we're going to have all of your contact information on our show notes, but just in case somebody is like looking you up because they're like, wait, I need to know more about this woman and her business. What's the best way for them to find you? On our website, um, which is wildcoffeemarketing.com. And you can find us there. Perfect. So easy. Now, before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Um, you know, it's almost like the, the keep on swimming right now, you know, and, uh, in in those famous words, but keep on on swimming. swimming. And I, I was thinking about her the other day when I was, and, and I know it's a little tough for everybody and especially in an entrepreneurial journey or in a corporate world. And we're all sort of faced with a lot. And I think we just sort of got to keep, keep going right now. So. Amen. I love it. And I could not agree more. Amy, thank you so much for your um, telling us about what you do, about your wisdom, your, your um, you know, pieces of advice that we can all take. You have been an absolutely fantastic guest today. I'm so glad you've been with us. I am so glad to be here. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.